Volume the Second, Chapter Twelve of Helen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Helen, by Maria Edgeworth, Volume the Second, Chapter Twelve. Sir Benjamin and Lady Bearcroft departed at six o'clock the next morning, and all the rest of the political and diplomatic corps left immediately after breakfast. Lady Davenant looked relieved, the general satisfied, and Lady Cecilia consoled herself with the hope that, if she had done no good, she had not done any harm. This was a bad slide, perhaps, in the magic lantern, but would leave no trace behind. She began now to be very impatient for Beauclerc's appearance, always sanguine, and as rapid in her conclusions as she was precipitate in her actions, she felt no doubt, no anxiety as to the future. For, though she refrained from questioning Helen as to her sentiments for Beauclerc, she was pretty well satisfied on that subject. Helen was particularly grateful to Lady Cecilia for this forbearance, being almost ashamed to own, even to herself, how exceedingly happy she felt, and now that it was no longer wrong in her to love, or dishonorable in him to wish to be loved, she was surprised to find how completely the idea of Beauclerc was connected with and interwoven through all her thoughts, pursuits, and sentiments. He had certainly been constantly in her company for several months, a whole summer, but she could scarcely believe that during this time he could have become so necessary to her happiness. While, with still increasing agitation, she looked forward to his arrival, she felt as if Lady Davenant's presence was a sort of protection, a something to rely on, in the new circumstances in which she was to be placed. Lord Davenant had returned to town, but Lady Davenant remained. The Russian embassy seemed still in abeyance. One morning as Helen was sitting in Lady Davenant's room alone with her, she said suddenly, at your age, Helen, I had as little taste for what are called politics as you have, yet you see what I am come to. And by the same road you may, you will, arrive at the same point. I, oh, I hope not, cried Helen, almost before she felt the whole inference that might be drawn from this exclamation. You hope not? repeated her ladyship calmly, let us consider this matter rationally, and put our hopes and our fears and our prejudices out of the question, if possible. Let me observe to you that the position of women in society is somewhat different from what it was a hundred years ago, or as it was sixty, or I will say thirty years since. Women are now so highly cultivated, and political subjects are at present of so much importance, 
of such high interest to all human creatures who live together in society, you can hardly expect, Helen, that you, as a rational being, can go through the world as it now is, without forming any opinion on points of public importance. You cannot, I conceive, satisfy yourself with the common namby-pamby little missy phrase, ladies have nothing to do with politics. Helen blushed, for she was conscious that, wrong or right, namby-pamby, little missy or not, she had hitherto satisfied herself very comfortably with some such thought. Depend upon it, Helen, resumed Lady Davenant, that when you are married, your love for a man of superior abilities and of superior character must elevate your mind to sympathy with all his pursuits, with all the subjects which claim his attention. Helen felt that she must become strongly interested in every subject in which the man she loved was interested. But still she observed that she had not abilities or information, like Lady Davenant's, that could justify her in attempting to follow her example. Besides, Helen was sure that, even if she had, it would not suit her taste. And besides, in truth, she did not think it well suited to a woman. She stopped when she came to that last thought. But what kindness and respect suppressed was clearly understood by her penetrating friend. Fixing her eyes upon Helen, she said with a smile, the candor and nobleness of her character rising above all little irritation of temper. I agree with you, my dear Helen, in all you do not say, and were I to begin life over again, my conduct should in some respects be different. Of the public dangers and private personal inconveniences that may result from women becoming politicians, or, as you better express our meaning interfering with public affairs, no one can be more aware than I am. Interfering, observe, I say, for I would mark and keep the line between influence and interference. Female influence must, will, and ought to exist on political subjects as on all others, but this influence should always be domestic, not public. The customs of society have so ruled it. Of the thorns in the path of ambitious men, all moralists talk, but there are little, scarcely visible, thorns of a peculiar sort that beset the path of an ambitious woman, the venomous prickles of the domestic bramble, a plant not perhaps mentioned in Withering's Botany, or the Hortus Cuennus, but it is too well known to many, and to me it has been sorely known. At this instant, General Clarendon came in with some letters, which had been forwarded to him express. One for Lady Davenant he had been desired to put into her hands himself. He retired, 
and Lady Davenant opened the letter. By the first glance at her countenance, Helen saw that there was something in it which had surprised and given her great concern. Helen withdrew her eyes and waited till she should speak. But Lady Davenant was quite silent, and Helen, looking at her again, saw her put her hand to her heart, as if from some sudden sense of violent bodily pain, and she sank on the sofa, fell back, and became as pale as death and motionless. Excessively frightened, Helen threw open the window, rang the bell for Lady Davenant's own woman, and sent the page for Lady Cecilia. In a few moments Lady Cecilia and Elliot came. Neither was as much alarmed as Helen had expected they would be. They had seen Lady Davenant under similar attacks. They knew what remedies to apply. Elliot was a remarkably composed, steady person. She now went on doing all that was necessary without speaking a word. The paroxysm lasted longer than usual, as Lady Cecilia observed, and though she continued her assurances to Helen that it was all nervous, only nerves, she began evidently to be herself alarmed. At length, symptoms of returning animation appeared, and then Cecilia retired, beckoning to Helen to follow her into the next room. We had better leave Mamma to Elliot. She will be happier if she thinks we know nothing of the matter. Then, recollecting that Helen had been in the room when this attack came on, she added, But no, you must go back, for Mamma will remember that you were present. Take as little notice, however, as possible, of what has happened. Cecilia said that her mother, when they were abroad, had been subject to such seizures at intervals. And in former times, before I was born, I believe, said Lady Cecilia, she had some kind of extraordinary disease in the heart, but she has a particular aversion to being thought nervous. Every physician who has ever pronounced her nervous has always displeased her, and has been dismissed. She was once quite vexed with me for barely suggesting the idea. There, cried Cecilia, I hear her voice. Go to her. Helen followed Lady Cecilia's suggestion, and took as little notice as possible of what had happened. Elliot disappeared as she entered. The page was waiting at the door, but to Helen's satisfaction Lady Davenant did not admit him. Not yet. Tell him I will ring when I want him, said she. The door closed, and Lady Davenant, turning to Helen, said, Whether I live or die is a point of some consequence to the friends who love me. But there is another question, Helen, of far more importance to me, and I trust to them. That question is, whether I continue to live as I have lived, honored and respected, or live and die dishonored and despised. Her eye glanced towards the letter she had been reading. 
my poor child continued lady davenant looking at helen's agitated countenance my poor child i will not keep you in suspense she then told helen that she was suspected of having revealed a secret of state that had been confided to her husband and which it was supposed and truly supposed that lord davenant had told her beyond its political importance the disclosure involved a charge of baseness in her having betrayed confidence having suffered a copy of a letter from an illustrious personage to be handed about and read by several people lord davenant as yet knows nothing of this the effect upon him is what i most dread i cannot show you this continued she opening again the letter she had just received because it concerns others as well as myself i am at all events under obligations that can never be forgotten to the person who gave me this timely notice which could no otherwise have reached me and the person to whom i am thus obliged is one helen whom neither you nor i like and whom cecilia particularly dislikes miss clarendon her manner of doing me this service is characteristic she begins miss clarendon is aware that lady davenant has no liking for her but that shall not prevent miss clarendon from doing what she thinks an act of justice towards a noble character falsely attacked lady davenant read no more had you not better wait till you are stronger my dear lady davenant said helen seeing her prepare to write it was once said gloriously well replied lady davenant that the duties of life are more than life itself so i think while she wrote helen thought of what she had just heard and she ventured to interrupt lady davenant to ask if she had formed any idea of the means by which the secret could have been betrayed or the copy of the letter obtained yes she had a suspicion of one person the diplomatist to whom mr harley had shown such a mortal antipathy she recollected that the last morning of the congress had sat in lord davenant's chamber she had left her writing-desk there and this letter was in it she thought that she had locked the desk when she had left the room it certainly was fast when she returned but it had a spring brahma lock and its being shut down would have fastened it she had no proof one way or other her suspicion rested where was her instinctive dislike it was remarkable however that she at once did justice to another person whom she did not like mr mapletot lord davenant's secretary his manners do not please me she said but i have perfect confidence in his integrity helen felt and admired this generous candour but her suspicions were not of the diplomatist alone she thought of one who might perhaps have been employed by him carlos the page and many circumstances 
which she recollected and put together, now strengthened this suspicion. She wondered it had not occurred to Lady Davenant. She thought it must, but that she did not choose to mention it. Helen had often heard Lady Davenant's particular friends complain that it was extremely disagreeable to them to have this boy constantly in the room, whatever might be the conversation. There was the page, either before or behind a screen, always within hearing. Lady Davenant said that, as Carlos was a Portuguese, and had never been in England till she had brought him over a few months before, he could not understand English well enough to comprehend what was going on. This was doubted, especially by Helen, who had watched his countenance, and had represented her doubts and her reasons for them to Lady Davenant, but she was not convinced. It was one of the few points on which she could justly be reproached with adhering to her fancy instead of listening to reason. The more Carlos was attacked, the more she adhered to him. In fact, it was not so much because he was a favorite as because he was a protégé. He was completely dependent upon her protection. She had brought him to England, had saved him from his mother, a profligate camp-follower, had freed him from the most miserable condition possible, and had raised him to easy, happy, confidential life. To the generous the having conferred an obligation is in itself a tie hard to sever. All noble-minded people believe in fidelity, and never doubt of gratitude. They throw their own souls into those they oblige, and think and feel for them, as they, in their situation, would think and feel. Lady Davenant considered it an injustice to doubt the attachment of this boy, and a cruelty she deemed it to suspect him causelessly of being the most base of human creatures he a young defenceless orphan. Helen had more than once offended by attempting to stop Lady Davenant from speaking imprudently before Carlos. She was afraid, even at this moment, to irritate her by giving utterance to her doubts. She determined, therefore, to keep them to herself till she had some positive grounds for her suspicions. She resolved to watch the boy very carefully. Presently, having finished her letters, Lady Davenant rang for him. Helen's eyes were upon Carlos the moment he entered, and her thoughts did not escape observation. "'You are wrong, Helen,' said Lady Davenant, as she lighted the taper to seal her letters. "'If I am not right,' said Helen, keeping her eyes upon the boy's changing countenance, "'I am too suspicious. But observe—' Am I not right, at this instance, in thinking that his countenance is bad? Lady Davenant could not but see that countenance change in an extraordinary manner, in spite of his efforts to keep it steady. You cause that of which you complain, said she, going on sealing her letters deliberately, in courts of public justice and in private equity. The word equity she pronounced with an austere emphasis. How often is the change of countenance 
misinterpreted, the sensibility of innocence that cannot bear to be suspected is often mistaken for the confusion worse confounded of guilt. Helen observed that, as Lady Davenant spoke, and spoke in his favor, the boy's countenance cleared up, that vacillating expression of fear and consciousness of having something within him unwhipped of justice, completely disappeared, and his whole air was now bold and open, towards Helen, almost an air of defiance. "'What do you think is the cause of this change in his countenance? You observe it, do you not?' asked Helen. "'Yes, and the cause is as plain as the change.' He sees I do not suspect him, though you do, and seeing, Helen, that he has at least one friend in the world who will do him justice, the orphan boy takes courage. I wish I could be as good as you are, my dearest Lady Davenant, said Helen, but I cannot help still feeling and saying, I doubt. Now observe him while I speak. I will turn my eyes away, that my terrible looks may not confound him. You say he knows that you do not suspect him, and that I do. How does he know it? How? said Lady Davenant. By the universal language of the eyes. Not only by that universal language, I think, said Helen, but I suspect he understands every word we say. Helen, without ever looking up from a bunch of seals which she was rubbing bright, slowly and very distinctly added, I think that he can speak, read, and write English. A change in the countenance of Carlos appeared, notwithstanding all his efforts to hold his features in the same position. Instead of placid composure, there was now grim rigidity. Give me the great seal with the coat of arms on it, said Lady Davenant, dropping the wax on her letter and watching the boy's eye as she spoke, without herself looking towards the seal she had described. He never stirred, and Helen began to fear she was unjust and suspicious. But again her doubts, at least of his disposition, occurred. As she was passing through Lady Davenant's dressing room with her, when they were going down to dinner, the page following them, Helen caught his figure in a mirror, and saw that he was making a horrible grimace at her behind her back, his dark countenance expressing extreme hatred and revenge. Helen touched Lady Davenant's arm, but, before her eye could be directed to the glass, Carlos perceiving that he was observed, pretended to be suddenly seized with the cramp in his foot, which obliged him to make these frightful contortions. Helen was shocked by his artfulness, but it succeeded with Lady Davenant. It was in vain to say more about it to her, so Helen let it pass. When she mentioned it afterwards to Lady Cecilia, she said, "'I am sorry, for your sake, Helen,' that this happened, depend upon it, that revengeful little Portuguese gnome will work you mischief some time or other. Helen did not think of herself, 
indeed she could not imagine any means by which he could possibly work her woe but the face was so horrible that it came again and again before her eyes and she was more and more determined to watch carlos constantly this was one of the public days at clarendon park on which there was a good deal of company many of the neighbouring gentry were to be at dinner when lady davenant appeared no inquiries concerning her health were made by her daughter or by the general no allusion to her having been unwell she seemed quite recovered and helen observed that she particularly exerted herself and that her manner was more gracious than usual to commonplace people more present to everything that was passing she retired however early and took helen with her the depression of her spirits or rather the weight upon her mind appeared again as soon as they were alone together she took her writing-desk and looked over some letters which she said ought to be burned she could not sleep in peace she said she ought not to sleep till this was done several of these as she looked over them seemed to give her pain and excited her indignation or contempt as she from time to time exclaimed meanness corruption ingratitude too all favors forgotten to see to feel this is the common fate of all who have lived the life i have lived of this i am not so inconsistent as to complain but it is hard that my own character the integrity of a whole life should avail me nothing and yet added she after a moment's pause of reflection to how few can my character be really known women cannot like men make their characters known by public actions i have no right to complain but if lord davenant's honour is to be she paused her thoughts seeming too painful for utterance she completed the arrangement of the papers and as she pressed down the lid of her writing-box and heard the closing sound of the lock she said now i may sleep in peace she put out the lamp and went to her bedroom carrying with her two or three books which she intended to read after she should be in bed for though she talked of sleeping it was plain she thought she should not helen prevailed upon her to let her remain with her and read to her she opened first a volume of shakespeare in which was lady davenant's mark yes said she read that speech of wolsey's read that whole scene the finest picture of ambition ever drawn and after she had heard the scene she observed that there is no proof more certain of the truth of poetic description than its recurring to us at the time we strongly feel those who tell us continued she that it is unnatural to recollect poetry or eloquence at times of powerful emotion are much mistaken they have not strong feelings or strong imaginations i can affirm from my own experience that it is perfectly natural lady davenant rapidly mentioned some instances of this sort which she recollected 
but seeing the anxiety of Helen's look, she added, You are afraid that I am feverish. You wish me to rest. Then go on reading to me. Helen read on, till Lady Davenant declared she would not let her sit up any longer. Only, before you go, my dear child, look here at what I have been looking at while you have been reading. She made Helen place herself so as to see exactly in the same direction and light in which she was looking, and she pointed out to her, in the lining of the bed, a place where, from the falling of the folds and the crinkles in the material, a figure with the head, headdress, and perfect profile of an old woman with a turned-up chin appeared. At first Helen could not see it, but at last she caught it, and was struck with it. The same sort of curious effect of chance resemblance and coincidence which painters, Leonardo da Vinci in particular, have observed in the moss and stains on old stones, observed Lady Davenant, but it struck me to-night, Helen, perhaps because I am a little feverish, it struck me in a new point of view, moral, not picturesque, if such be the effects of chance or of coincidence. How cautious we should be in deciding from appearances or pronouncing from circumstantial evidence upon the guilt of evil design in any human creature. "'You mean this to apply to me about Carlos?' said Helen. "'I do, but not only of him and you was I thinking, "'but of myself and those who judge of me falsely from coincidences, "'attributing to me designs which I never had, "'and actions of which I am incapable.' "'She suddenly raised herself in her bed, and was going to say more,' but the pendule striking at that instant two o'clock, she stopped abruptly, kissed Helen, and sent her away. Helen gathered together and carried away with her all the books that Lady Davenant might not be tempted to look at them more. As she had several piled on one arm, and had a taper in her hand, she was somewhat encumbered, and, though she managed to open the bedroom door, and to shut it again without letting any of the books fall, and crossed the little anteroom between the bedchamber and dressing-room safely, yet as she was opening the dressing-room door, and taking too much or too little care of some part of her pyramid of books, down came the whole pile with a noise which, in the stillness of the night, sounded tremendous. She was afraid it would disturb Lady Davenant, and was going back to tell her what it was, when she was startled by hearing, as she thought, the moving of a chair or table in the dressing-room. She stopped short to listen. All was silent. She thought she had mistaken the direction in which the noise came. She softly opened the dressing-room door and looked in. All was silent. No chair or stool or table overturned. Everything was in its place exactly as they had left it, but there was a strong smell of a half-extinguished lamp. She thought it had been put out when they had left the room. She now supposed it had not been sufficiently lowered. 
she turned the screw and took care now to see it completely extinguished then went back for the books and as people sometimes will when most tired and most late be most orderly she would not go to bed without putting every volume in its place in the bookcase after reaching to put one book upon the highest shelf as she was getting down she laid her hand on the top of lady davenant's writing-box and as she leaned on it was surprised to hear the click of its lock closing the sound was so peculiar she could not be mistaken besides she thought she had felt the lid give way under her pressure there was no key left in the lock she perfectly recollected the very sound of that click when lady davenant shut the lid down before leaving the room this night she stood looking at the lock and considering how this could be and as she remained perfectly still she heard or thought she heard someone breathing near her holding in her own breath she listened and cautiously looked round without stirring from the place where she stood one of the window curtains moved so at least she thought yes certainly there was some living thing behind it it might be lady davenant's great dog but looking again at the bottom of the curtain she saw a human foot the page carlos was her instant suspicion and his vengeful face came before her and a vision of a stiletto or she did not well know what she trembled all over yet she had presence of mind enough to recollect that she should not seem to take notice and while she moved about the books on the table she gave another look and saw that the foot was not withdrawn she knew she was safe still it had not been perceived that she had seen it now what was she to do go up to that curtain and draw it back and face the boy but she did not dare yet he was only a boy but it might be a man and not the page better go and call somebody tell lady davenant she must go through the antechamber and pass close to that curtain to open the door all this was the thought of one moment and she went on holding up the light to the bookshelves as if in quest of some book and kept coasting along to gain the door she was afraid when she was to pass the window curtain either of touching it or of stumbling over that foot but she got past without touching or stumbling opened the door whisked through that was done too quickly but she could not help it she shut bolted the door and ran across the antechamber to lady davenant's bedroom she entered softly aware of the danger to her of sudden alarm but lady davenant was not asleep was not alarmed but was effective in a moment first she asked did you lock the door after you yes bolted it that is well neither of them said who do you think it is but each knew what the other thought they returned through the antechamber to the dressing-room but when they opened the door all was quiet no one behind the curtain no one in the room they searched under the sofas everywhere 
there was no closet or hiding place in which any one could be concealed the window fastenings were unstirred but the door into the gallery was unlocked and the simple thing appeared that helen in her confusion had thought only of fastening the door into the antechamber which also opened on the gallery but had totally forgotten to lock that from the dressing-room into the gallery by which whoever had been in the room had escaped without any difficulty lady davenant rather inclined to believe that no one had been there and that it was all helen's imagination but helen persisted that she had seen what she had seen and heard what she had heard they went into the gallery all silence no creature visible and the doors at the ends of the gallery locked outside after a fruitless search they retired lady davenant to her own room and helen to hers full of shame and regret that she had not had the courage to open the curtain at the right moment nothing could stir her belief however in the evidence of her senses the boy must have been there and must be still concealed somewhere in the gallery or in some of the rooms opening into it some of these were unoccupied but they were all locked up as lady davenant had told her when she had proposed searching them one or two they tried and found fastened she stood at her own door after having put down the candle on her table still giving a lingering lookout when through the darkness in the gallery at the further end she saw a ray of light on the floor which seemed to come from under the door of a room unoccupied mr mapletoft's room he had gone to town with lord davenant helen went on tiptoe very softly along the gallery almost to this door when it suddenly opened and the page stood before her the lamp in his hand shining full on his face and on hers both started then both were motionless for one second but he recovering instantly shot back again into the room flung to the door and locked it seen him cried lady davenant when helen flew to her room and told her seen him do you say and then ringing her bell she bade helen run and knock at the general's door while she went herself to mr mapletoft's room commanding carlos to open the door immediately but he would not open it nor make any answer the servants came and the general ordered one to go around to the windows of the room lest the boy should escape that way it was too late he had escaped when the door was forced one of the windows was found open carlos was not in the room he must have swung himself down from the height by means of a tree which was near the window the lamp was still burning and papers half burnt smouldering on the table there were sufficient remains to tell what they had been lady davenant saw in the handwriting of carlos copies of letters taken from her desk one half unburnt cover of the packet he had been making up showed by its direction to whom it was to have been sent and there were a few lines in the boy's own writing within side addressed to his employer which revealed the whole his employer was as lady davenant had suspected the diplomatist a duplicate brahma key was found under the table 
and as she recollected that she had some months ago missed this duplicate key of her desk, and supposed she had dropped it from her watch-ring while out walking, she recollected further that Carla's had with great zeal assisted her in the search for it all through the shrubbery walks. The proofs of this boy's artifice and long premeditated treachery, accumulating upon Lady Davenant, shocked her so much that she could not think of anything else. Is it possible? Is it in human nature? she exclaimed. Such falsehood, such art, such ingratitude. As she fixed her eyes upon the writing, scarcely yet dry, she repeated, It is his writing. I see it, yet can scarcely believe it. I, who taught him to write myself, guided that little hand to make the first letters that he ever formed, and this is in human nature. I could not have conceived it. It is dreadful to be so convinced. It lowers one's confidence in one's fellow creatures. That is the worst of all. She sighed deeply, and then, turning to Helen, said, But let us think no more of it to-night. We can do no more. They are in pursuit of him. I hope I may never, never see him more. End of Volume the Second, Chapter Twelve